of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Hello and welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones, and I am here today in Psalm 78, which in many ways could seem like a continuation of Psalm 77, although the uh, thematic ideas are a little bit different. Um, But the psalmist here, Asaph, again, does recollect what has happened in the past. The difference is... Rather than recollecting what God has done for the people of Israel, he recollects Israel's rebellion. And so I am actually not going to read the psalm before the setting, the musical setting, because it is read during the musical setting. I tend to do that with extremely long uh, passages, and this is 72 verses But I will gather some highlights here for you of what is going on here. Um, This is a maskil of Asaf. It is uh, titled, Tell the Coming Generation. Um, The psalmist here has a desire to tell and teach future generations not only what God has done, but the consequences for not obeying him. So let me pull out some verses here so you kind of get a general idea of what's going on. Verse 2, the psalmist says, I will open my mouth in a parable. And what he means is that he will recount the events of the past in a poetic way designed to instruct the hearts of a distant generation. Verse 3, he says, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. So the parable, the story that he desires to tell, what he desires to teach future generations was taught to him from previous generations. Um, Instruction was disseminated in his family from generation to generation. I'm reminded of Deuteronomy 6, uh, 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You should talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as as fontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. And when I was a child growing up, my mom had scriptures all over the house and she often referred to this passage here. Um, putting them above the doorposts, putting them everywhere. The, you should write them on the doorposts of your house. And um, it, was, it's, it's, it was a way that she was being obedient to Scripture by teaching my brother and me the commandments of Scripture, teaching us the ways of God. Um, and this is also a, believe it or not, a passage that I use. There are countless passages in Scripture that I use for this but that I use to support my argument that education is the responsibility of parents. It is a parental responsibility. It is not a government responsibility. There are many that disagree with me on that, including professing believers. 
But any time training and instruction, especially of children, is mentioned in Scripture, it is never linked to government, but almost always it is linked to parents. It is a parental responsibility. And so um, when I see social media posts, and I, I see this sometimes, uh, when I see a social media post that says something like, uh, you know, we need to go back to teaching kids in schools how to balance a checkbook or how to change a tire or how to cook or whatever the case may be. And often these arguments come from, uh, believe it or not, Southern evangelical conservative Christians, or professing to be at least. When I hear those arguments, my thought is, why aren't you teaching the children that? Why aren't you teaching your own children that? It is your job as a parent to make sure your child becomes a productive adult. That is not the responsibility of the government. And I think part of the way we have uh, we have gotten off track in our society is we have given the responsibility of education to the government. And only bad things can come of that. And so... Uh, education is a parental responsibility. And so here, the psalmist is discussing passing on. And when I say education, I'm not just talking about math, science, English. I am talking about um, teaching a child or teaching someone to become productive. Not only that, but teaching them the ways of the Lord. And this is uh, crucial. This is vital. And obviously, our public schools will not do that. And so that is why, you know, I am not advocating saying you must homeschool kids if you have kids. That's not at all what I'm saying. Uh, be careful in the partners you choose for education. It could be public school. It could be private school. You could homeschool. There are options. But as long as you are the primary educator and um, the other institutions or people are partners in education, choose the right partner. So here the psalmist is discussing uh, passing down the ways of the Lord, the knowledge of the Lord to a coming generation. He says in verse five, he established, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. So God established a relationship with his people based on grace alone. And in this context, he gave them laws to live by and show their gratefulness to him. And these laws are actually summarized in what we call the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Verse 6, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. Again, verse 3, the things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. And, and this is why, you know, there, there are people that would say that it is wrong to, uh, that they, they might think that you are brainwashing your kids if you force them, if you will, to um, uh, to take part in your faith, your religion, if you want to call it that. Um, but that is exactly what the people of God did in Scripture. They raised and trained their children in the ways of the Lord. Verse 7. So they should set their hope in God and forget not the works of God, but keep his commandments. The object of the history lesson here is not just to teach, not give them knowledge, but to deepen their faith and their obedience as God's people. 
And then in verse 9, he mentions, he, does, he mentions this a couple times, the Ephraimites. Uh, he says, the Ephraimites armed with the bow turned back on the day of battle. This verse should be compared to verses 67 and 68 later in the text, where the choice of Judah is coupled with the rejection of Ephraim. Verse 10 mentions the covenant of God. They did not keep God's covenant. God promised to protect his people if they obeyed the terms of his covenant, but to destroy them if they disobeyed. This is in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. Choose this day, good and evil. We still have those choices today. Verse 13, he divided the sea. So chief among the great acts of God was the deliverance from Egypt by which God rescued his people from slavery and he brought them into their own land. And the Red Sea crossing, and remember I mentioned this in uh, chapter 77, in Psalm 77, the Red Sea crossing was the greatest demonstration of God's power in the past and accordingly was often called to remembrance by the psalmists and the prophets. You remember the, the previous episode, chapter 77, the psalmist recollected the deliverance of Israel by crossing the Red Sea. Verse 18. Here's where it gets a little tricky. He's talking about Israel. He said they tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. Time and time again, Israel grumbled about the food in the wilderness, and yet God still provided for their needs. Verse 20. He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? So God's provision of water in the wilderness should have led to faith and trust. You would think, hey, you just saw water gush from a rock, that that would do the trick right there, but it didn't. Instead, they tested God by asking him for food. Verse 21, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. So rebellion against the Lord led to his judgment. Listen to this from Numbers 11, 1 through 3. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. And the people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Tabera because the fire of the Lord burned among them. But after judging the people, so people were consumed by the fire, people died. And again, I mentioned in the previous episode, the wrath of God is a very real thing. His patience does run out, and this is one example of that. But after that, after judging the people, he returned with his grace. You see this in Numbers 11. Verses 23 through 39. But that grace, believe it or not. Okay. (laughs) When you talk about a stubborn people, Israel was stubborn. So even though God gave him grace after he had consumed some by fire, that grace led to further rebellion. Numbers 11, 40 and 41. And this is the story of Israel throughout the Old Testament. And it's perhaps best represented in the book of Judges. Judges 2. Uh, you see this example. But Hebrews, Hebrews 12, reminds us that God chastises those he loves. So if you've ever wondered, are you a child of God? 
If you've ever lived in sin and God has disciplined you, that is proof that you are his. In verse 33, so he made their days vanish like a breath. This word is the same as found in the opening words of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 1, 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. This word, breath, is the uh, same as vanity found in Ecclesiastes. It describes the world apart from God and under the curse of the fall. Apart from God, we have nothing, only the fear of death and the void. Verse 37. They were not faithful to his covenant. Again, referring to Israel. So God initiated a relationship with Israel through his grace, and then he revealed his will to them through his law, including the curses and the blessings of the covenant. And the people disobeyed the law, and they brought on themselves the judgment of God. And then it continues with this pattern that you see in Israel. Verse 40, how often they rebelled against him. You see countless examples in the Old Testament of the people of God rebelling against him after God had demonstrated incredible acts and after he had shown them great mercy. Numbers 11, Numbers 14, Numbers 16, you see these examples of them rebelling against God. The psalmist goes on in verses 44 through 51 referring to the works of God when he showed his marvelous works in Egypt and he lists Six of the plagues of Egypt, and they're turning the rivers into blood, the swarms of flies, the frogs, locusts, hail. He mentions these things in these verses. And then in verses 54 through 64, we see that God blessed them with the promised land. But again, they quickly forgot him. Are you seeing the pattern here? God's people rebel. God disciplines, and in many cases, killed people, consumed them, killed them. And then he forgave the remnant. Then they rebelled again. So you see this recurring pattern, and and we, we think, man, Israel was stubborn. These people were idiots. God demonstrated his power, and they still rebelled. But how often do we do the same thing? Now, sure, maybe we haven't seen God part the Red Seas, but we know that he did it. There are other examples, countless examples of God that we have seen, and there are many people who truly have seen the works of God, uh, miraculous healings. And yet, we as humans, our nature is evil, and so there's this battle, a war between the flesh and the spirit, and we constantly choose the flesh. We are also rebellious, like Israel. So we see this pattern. And then it says in verse 52, He led his people like sheep. He guided them in the wilderness like a flock. If you remember uh, in the previous episode in 77, verse 20, it ends with, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. A shepherd, as David was, um, a shepherd cared for his sheep, but there were times where he had to discipline his sheep. In fact, when a sheep ran off, 
What a shepherd would do once they found that sheep, they would leave the rest of the flock and they would go looking for that sheep. And when they found that sheep so that the sheep did not run off again, the shepherd would break the sheep's leg. And then the shepherd would carry the sheep until the leg healed. In the same way, God does so for us. He guides us like a gentle shepherd and he chastises us and he disciplines us but he carries us through the healing process. And then in verse 54 through 64, as I've already mentioned this, they quickly forgot him. Verse 55, he drove out the nations. So Israel fought, but the faithful knew that it was God God was the divine warrior. Israel had no power by themselves. It was actually God who won the victories against the enemies. And so the story of the defeat of Jericho is the model for the battles of the conquest under Joshua. You can read about this story, Joshua 5 and 6. And then in verses 56, more of the pattern. They tested and rebelled against God the Most High. So they didn't keep his law in the desert, nor did they keep it in the promised land. Listen to this from Judges 2. I'm going to start in verse 11, read through 15. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Now keep in mind, we hear about the God of Baal, but there were multiple Baals. Verse 12, and they abandoned the Lord, the God, their fa- uh, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned and the Lord had sworn to them and they were in terrible distress. So they didn't keep their covenant. They disobeyed and God acted justly. Verse 58, for they provoked him to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. The height of their rebellion was to worship false gods. Now, uh, the concept of God being a jealous God is interesting. uh, Because we are not to be jealous as humans, but God rightfully is a jealous God. He is jealous for us, not of us. Us, okay, so keep that in mind. He is not jealous of us, but he is jealous for our devotion to him. Why is that? Why can't we be jealous? Because we don't have the right. God is the most high. There's none above him. There's none more powerful than him. There's none more worthy than him. And so rightfully, he can demand the worship of people. And when they do not give it to him rightfully... He is rightfully jealous. Verse 60, he forsook his dwelling at Shiloh. Uh, soon after entering the promised land, the tabernacle was set up in Shiloh. Joshua 18.1, then the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The land lay subdued 
before then. And this is about 20 miles northeast of Jerusalem in the tribal territory of Ephraim. Verse 61, And delivered his power to captivity. During Samuel's youth, God punished Israel and its leaders, particularly Eli's sons, by abandoning Israel in battle and allowing the Philistines to capture the ark. You can read that account, 1 Samuel 4 and 5. Verse 65, then the Lord awoke as from sleep. Again, God does not sleep. I've said that before. But God had left Israel temporarily and seemed to be asleep. An unusual figure of speech here explains how he began to act. In verse 67, he rejected the tent of Joseph. So the rejection of the tribe of Ephraim refers to the abandonment of the Shiloh sanctuary and perhaps also the rejection of Saul's monarchy. And in verse 68, he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. So Jerusalem succeeded Shiloh as the designated location for the worship of God. And then he, we mentioned, we see this phrase Mount Zion quite often. I've already, already discussed that. Verse 70, he chose David, his servant, and took from him the sheep, uh, took him from the sheepfolds. In other words, he was a shepherd. So this verse recalls David's humble origins, which you can read about in 1 Samuel 16. Verse 72, with upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. So the psalm climaxes on a positive note with a faithful king in Jerusalem, the place of God's special presence. So you see this pattern in this psalm of Israel, of God's mercy. You see it, it is abundant, is replete throughout the psalm. But you also see that contrasted with Israel's rebellion. And then God ultimately having his way by uh, cutting off those who dishonored him, who disobeyed him, and having his way with the people that he chose, David, for example, and perhaps even a full severing of the monarchy of Saul, and then having his way with the kingdom uh, with David as the king. And so this psalm, as I said, uh, different from Psalm 77, but in a way similar because it recollects the past, but it not only recollects the acts of God, but the consequences for the people of God disobeying him. And so this is a simple refrain that I have set, and then the text is read. I think with recollections like this, it is important that the text is read verbatim so that the acts of God are remembered in their entirety as the text of scripture says. And so uh, a simple refrain uh, that, that really I've used the first verse of 78, give ear, O my people to my teaching, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. And keep in mind, had Israel done that, they would not have seen these dire consequences, but they rebelled. And so it is crucial that, that we hear this first verse, give ear to my, uh, to my words, people of God. Because if you don't, here are the consequences and here are examples that really happened. And so here is Psalm 78. It is a rather lengthy setting. I think it's over nine minutes. 
uh, because the psalm itself is lengthy. But here is Psalm 78, set to music. Thank you for listening today to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. my teaching incline your ears to the words of my mouth give ear oh my people oh my to my teaching to my incline your ears to the words of my mouth i will open my mouth in a parable i will utter dark sayings from of old things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us we will not hide them from their children but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the lord and his might and the wonders that he has done He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Ephraimites, armed with a bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan. He divided the sea and let them pass through it and made the waters stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that the water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Therefore, when the Lord heard he was full of wrath, a fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven and he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate of bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he let out the south wind. He rained meat on them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the seas. He let them fall in the midst of their camp and all around their dwellings. And they ate and were filled For he gave them what they craved. 
But before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them, and he killed the strongest of them and laid low the young men of Israel. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Oh, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. In spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like a breath and their years in terror. When he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the Most High God, their Redeemer. But they flattered Him with their mouths. They lied to Him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward Him. They were not faithful to His covenant. Yet He, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained His anger often and did not stir up all His wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe, when he performed his signs in Egypt and his marvels in the fields of Zoan. He turned their rivers to blood so that they could not drink of their streams. He sent among them swarms of flies which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He gave their crops to the destroying locust and the fruit of their labor to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamores with frost. He gave over their cattle to the hail and their flocks to thunderbolts. He let loose on them his burning anger, wrath, indignation, and distress, a company of destroying angels. He made a path for his anger. He did not spare them from death, but he gave their lives over to the plague. He struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the first fruits of their strength in the tents of Ham. Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so they were not afraid, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to his holy land, to the mountain which his right hand had won. He drove out nations before them. He apportioned them for a possession and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow, for they provoked him to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. When God heard, he was full of wrath and he utterly rejected Israel. He forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he met and dwelt among mankind. He delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. He gave his people over to the sword and vented his wrath on his heritage. Fire devoured their young men, and their young women had no marriage song. Their priests fell by the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awoke as from sleep, like a strong man shouting because of wine. And he put his adversaries to rout. 
He put them to everlasting shame. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Give ear, all my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Oh, give. 